Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Lou Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gourney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And we have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gourney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Well, as the political cycle's starting to wind up, we got Nikki Haley, I've heard a few times, and uh, the normal rumblings that are starting to go on. Uh, we thought a, a talk about democracy, populism, and mob rule would be kind of some rich areas to dip into. And so, Dr. Jacobson, you want to get us started? Sure. So this is something that's kind of like been bouncing around in my head for a while now, that I find that both on the left and the right, especially the right, there are like widely different opinions about like democracy and populism and how good or bad they are. And so on the right, it kind of goes something like this from what I can tell is there are some people on the right who think that democracy and populism are, are basically intertwined and that that's a good thing that you know, this appeal to the people that mostly like Trump has been successful at, though DeSantis too, it's kind of a populist appeal of, you know, you've been screwed over, I want to put you in charge, that sort of thing. It's pretty heavily intertwined with democracy. Maybe they're not the same concepts, but they're pretty close. Uh, but then also on the right, right still, you have a bunch of people who, and, and before I go there, there, there's almost like something kind of, uh, you know, Jeffersonian about that too, like Thomas Jefferson, uh, this idea that we need to kind of put the voice or put the power in people's hands, something like that. But then on the other side of the right, you also have kind of these uh, more elitist rights who are like, you know, maybe on the side of Alexander Hamilton, for example, who are like, in a way, anti-democracy. And so this is like the classic debate. It's like, oh, should we be pro-democracy or should we be, you know, more pro-federalism away from the democracy and put less power in the people's hands? And so there's like this con confusing intersection where like some of the sentiment on the right is we can't trust the people and we need the elites to prevent the people from like overthrowing the constitution, overturning our liberties, things like that. But at the same time on the right, you see sort, sort of the sentiments. And so one let me summarize the other one. One fear is democracy is mob rule. And you hear this on the right a lot. But on the other side, you also hear on the right uh, this sentiment, sometimes from the same people, that populism, representing the will of the people, is a good strategy for kind of overthrowing the you know elite-heavy society that we live in or the bureaucracy-heavy society. And so I kind of wanted to talk through this because it's confusing to me. I actually don't understand uh, whether or not these ideas are contradictory at all. Uh, I don't know where I fall in terms of them. You know, I've I've said in my in past in my life that democracy is mob rule, uh, but I've also said I don't see the big deal with populism. Why so many people are afraid of it? And these things seem kind of contradictory because populism and democracy seem pretty close. So I don't know. Well, you confuse me a little bit with at least the way I'm perceiving federalism. How is federalism, not democracy in terms of the way you characterize it. Well, it's certainly not direct democracy. It's right? not. Yeah. yeah. Is that yeah. what you meant? Yeah. Just that we push it down 
the democratic rule is pushed down to the lower levels with federalism. Right? When you were using federalism, did you seem mean something more like republicanism? Yeah, something more like republicanism. Yeah. So okay. the constitutional like, this isn't a democracy. It's a republic. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the that, line. yeah, that's a line. This yeah. isn't a democracy. It's a republic. But also, we need the people to be in charge, not the elites. These two ideas seem like at base at least a little contradictory. Maybe not definitionally. Maybe we're not saying A is B and A is also C. But it seems like there's a little bit of attention there. And so are you saying that the the move to uh, kind of what we have now where a lot of executive orders, Biden's forgiving student loans and Trump does this or whatever, is kind of a move more towards direct democracy and away from federalism? Is that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I say Joe. I, I don't know if I connect Biden at all with this, because I think Biden's just doing pretty typical political favoritism. But yes, I think what Trump and what like. Bernie Sanders and kind of the squad types do, at least in rhetoric, and I think in practice with Trump, is he tries to appeal to the will of his voters a lot more than the standard politician like a George Bush who gets elected or like H.W. Bush, read my lips, no new taxes. And then he passes the new taxes with Trump. It's I'm going to cut taxes and cut regulations. And lo and behold, he actually did it right. You know, not in big, significant ways for the taxes, but pretty big actually for regulations. And so there, it seems like Trump is really or and DeSantis really appeals more to the people who vote for them and what they want than the elites do. But sometimes like, again, on the right, sometimes this is a bad thing. The idea like, oh, democracy is mob rule. We have to be afraid of it. So I don't know, Justin. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? I didn't think you were going to approach it from the right angle. By right, I don't mean correct. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. Pushing it. Yeah, with that lens. Yeah, there's a contradiction on the left, too. Yeah, and th- I think this is the one that you kind of hear more just mm-hmm. because, you know, the progressive narrative is the one that we are inundated with. And it goes something like this. When, when something happens in politics that I like, it's democracy. Right. And when something happens in politics that I don't like, even if a lot of if a lot of people are behind it, then that's mob rule. Yeah. Right? And that's <laughs> it's populism. Yeah. They'll straight they'll, and they'll, well, the Democrats will straight out yeah. be opposed to populism. Well, the Democrats right? seem like they're kind of iffy on populism. The, I mean, populism kind of seems to me like the neutral term. OK. Whereas, you know, we can describe it. This is a populist movement. Now, if it's a populist movement that favors the left, the left is going to call it democracy. If it's a populist movement that favors the right, the left is going to call it mob rule. Right. Um, if that makes sense. I, I, I've heard. So we don't have to get too much into this, but I've heard populism used in a negative light a lot by the left, a lot more than the right would. I, I've heard like, you know, news anchors will say, oh, Trump is a populist. And, you know, these right wing political revolutions in Europe that happen, they're always described as populist revolutions. So I feel like there is a little bit of a negative twinge from the left on the word populism, even though I think in practice, someone like Bernie Sanders is doing populism. But yeah, and maybe, but it's a mistake on their part to use populism that way, because it gives away that it is popular. And like what what you want to do is say that, you know, this is an angry mob, right? Which is why... they often call it mob rule too. Yeah, I, want, I was thinking with the mob rule, are are they trying to um, get at like rational ignorance that it, these people are not being rational with their vote that they have a right to? They're just going with their emotions or feelings, and so that's why we're calling it mob rule. Let's just take one step like back. Like you said, when Let's you said democracy good here. and mob rule bad. Let's take one step back. Populism, democracy, and mob rule are pretty much the same indistinguishable <laughs> let, let me maybe get at the difference the best i can because i've been thinking about this the last few days and i want to see if y- you agree with me 
Democracy is obviously the decision-making system, like 51%. That's how I describe democracy, 50% plus one, I guess, if you want to be specific. That's that's democracy, a system that preferences 50% plus one over 50% minus one. Yeah. The only sense in which populism, I think you could say is different, is that populism is preferencing the majority with rhetoric that the majority is being repressed by some elite minority. And so like, that's the only thing that I see that is common to populism that isn't necessarily common to democracy. It's, it's not contradictory with the definition of democracy. It just seems like there's something added to it. That populism is a subset of democracy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that like their populism says democracy plus like there's this good motivation, which is that we're being screwed over. Right? I think populism comes with a we are being screwed over okay. line, which and democracy maybe, doesn't necessarily. And maybe, in terms of contemporary United States politics. Uh, I'd say, you know, I think in Europe maybe, too, uh, at least uh, contemporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then would mob rule on this account be a subset of populism that also includes maybe like a threat of violence? Or well, so like this that? is where I think the parties are like different. So, is, so that Republicans are willing to say that 50% plus one is mob rule. And Democrats, uh, like you alluded to, and I think it's true, will say 50% plus one when it's good for me is democracy and when it's bad for me is populism, right? Or is, is mob rule. Yeah. Well, yeah. so maybe just to give an example of this, sure. there was this tweet by you know galaxy brain Rick Wilson, who is ranting about Fox and the GOP. And at one point he says- And know, he's he's one of these Lincoln Project people, right? He's a never Trump Republican. Yes. That, that's what Rick Wilson is. Yeah. Right? So a kind of neocon that yeah. left the Republican Party when the populism of Trump kind of took over that party. Yeah. And at one point he says, just as the GOP once ruled the base, and now the base rules the GOP, a slavering, inchoate rage beast demanding more and more. <laughs> now, notice what he's saying there, right? He's saying- that the leadership of the GOP used to rule the base, yeah. used to tell the base right. what to think, right? Right. And what to do and how to vote. Yes. And now what he's objecting to is that now the base actually tells the leadership what to do. Now, whether or not you think that's the case now is another thing. But the point is that that is like what he is putting forward as objectionable. Yeah. That it is objectionable that the base, the voters, the populace the ought party. to be telling the uh, party, yeah. what they want. And and that seems to me to just be like this really sneering form of elitism, which. But, but it's really interesting because like there have been times in my life where that sort of sentiment not expressed that way, because I agree with you. It is really sneering. And it's like how I don't know how anybody types that and doesn't like things that like doesn't can't reflect on it. But there's been times in my life where I've said things like, yeah, democracy is mob rule and it doesn't make sense that we should just like do whatever the bulk majority of people say. And that's a similar sentiment to what Rick Wilson saying, again, less sneering language or whatever. But th like, that's what I'm finding kind of funny is this contradiction in my thinking over time. Is part of it, does Rick a denier that elite rule is bad? Like in their heart of hearts, I think some people, there's kind of two camps. And so I think some people believe that, oh, no, elite rule can work and we just have to, you know. I don't even know if I'm opposed to elite rule. I mean, most corporations are elite rule, right? Like you've got one person in charge of the best corporations. You're not against elite rule. Uh, cor again, cor <laughs> corporations are uh, run by hierarchically. Uh, they're I'm talking about the country, though, not corporations. Well, but, but no, I'm talking about in principle, elite rule works in a lot of times. You know, families are this way, too. Mom and dad elite. 
children, you know, are yeah. the populace, okay. right? So there's been examples of benevolent dictators that have done some good. And by the way, I think the in America, it, the elite uh, are the founders <laughs> who wrote something called the Constitution, which I think is better than what the populace wants a lot of the time. Like if we took votes on gun rights in this country, we would have a lot less gun rights than we do in a lot of states. And I don't like that. I, I think you're just sealing my so, case, though, is that our quote unquote elites back then in the Constitution were trying to put a system forth that didn't allow elites to rule. No, I think you're wrong. They, really? they didn't want the yeah. populace to rule. They were explicitly yeah. making so the populace could not rearrange certain laws about speech and gun rights and things like that. Yeah, now, let me be clear. I uh, don't disagree with Rick Wilson because I think he's against populism and I'm for populism. I think Rick Wilson is an idiot uh, and, a, uh, you know, kind of like one of the worst of this kind of elite, because in the next breath, Rick, Rick Wilson will say things like Trump is a threat to democracy or we need to save democracy right. in Ukraine. It's essential that we save democracy over, around the world. It's that he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, yeah. I am not a, I'm not super. I don't think democracy is the solution to all the problems. I actually agree with Peter that a lot of times strong leadership works. I think the way you judge whether or not a, a state is being governed well is by the well-being of its citizens. Um, oftentimes, sometimes democracy works, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes a mix works. And, some, and I think that's going to be an empirical question about what system works works best. I, I think I'm a little confused on maybe the, the meta narrative versus these individual cases. So like, of course, I'm totally for private corporation through voluntary exchange, making money, making rules that all pertains to them. But the coercive action of the state is a completely different camp. And so then I don't want the elites to have the power that the corporate CEO does in this kind of similar fashion to the governor of a state or the president of the United States. I mean, I think that's where our country went wrong, is that they're, they're too powerful of a position. Let's be very clear. If you think that we ought to have markets and private property, then you, by definition, do not believe in full democracy. You do not believe yeah, in the I right mean, of the people. Yeah, I've never been a super big fan. Democracy is yeah, so necessary, I, I, but I, not I, sufficient. Russ, I, I think where you're getting, finishing. I think where you're getting hung, hung up here is like there's this third category, which we'll call anarchy, that I don't like. think is maybe the perfect term for this, but like. You could say that like anarchy is actually the will of the people. And what Russ is saying is that, you know, our central government is protecting like the rights of individuals. And so it's there for the people. Right. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. When Justin and I are talking about the people here, though, we're talking about like the people as described by democracy. Right. Like the, the general will of the populace. And sometimes the general will of the populace is worse than the will of like some elite. Right. You know, this no, is, I could be, yeah, and that's due to the, what I was saying earlier with rational ignorance, or they don't care, they yeah, yeah. get caught up with emotion, sure. or don't want to spend the time necessary to actually yeah. learn, what, what, learn the facts, learn the blah, blah, blah. What, whatever the reason, I can imagine a world where 50% of the people want something worse than like one person. Yeah. And I, I won't say one really smart person, I just mean like one person in a position. And in that case, like I prefer the one person in the position to make the decision rather than the 50%. Uh, if it's a good, you know, going to war in Iraq, if we had one cool head uh, on top of the government at the time, which we didn't, but if we did, and that one cool head said, uh, Osama bin Laden, that's like a totally different guy. We have no reason to go in Iraq because of 9-11. Like, let's just calm down, guys. I would have preferred that person over the will of the American people, which is like, yeah, let's steamroll the entire like region of the world where the guy who hit the two towers is located. Like, the people were crazy after 9-11. That was absolutely insane. 
I would have liked to have had a good elite say, no, we're not going to do that. That's ridiculous. Let's stick to Bin Laden and Afghanistan and let's forget about Iraq and Iran and all these other countries that have nothing to do with it. So that's, I think that's what I'm saying. All right. Well, I, this looks like a good spot for a break. When we come back, I think part of what I'm also thinking about is the rule of law versus the rule of man, which happens to be one of our hot topics this spring for our PPE league competition and otherwise. So I guess uh, let's try to pick up from there and we'll be back in just a bit. Otto University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition of politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, so we're back. I'm certainly a little confused because I'm pretty, um, I guess, anti-elite, and I want to I want to hamstring some of the decisions that come along at the federal level. And the idea of federalism, of pushing decision-making down to the states, gets us to be able to move from state to state. If we don't like the elites in California, we can move to the elites in Kansas if we want to use that word. I don't know if that's a a fair word to use, but some of us might seek to move some direction. So I think that part of it works. And then there's still a little democracy going on within each state. So I think something that might not be totally clear is the democracy as it pertains to federal law, the democracy as it pertains to state law, the democracy as it uh, pertains to a city and county law for that matter. So I don't know. Peter, kind of bring us through some of the tensions again. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that Justin or yourself will be able to kind of resolve this tension that I've realized I have in myself based on our conversation. And here's the tension. First, I'm going to illustrate with an example. Then I'm going to kind of explain the basic uh, tension that I think is there is that in both parties, I prefer the populist wing. I like AOC and the squad more than I like Hillary Clinton. I disagree with a lot of their ideas. I'm not saying I like their ideas, but if I could choose between AOC being president and Hillary Clinton being president, I would absolutely choose AOC. (laughs) And I feel that way on the right too. If I could choose between Ron DeSantis and Mitt Romney, I would not think about it for three seconds. I I would push the Ron DeSantis, DeSantis button very quickly compared to the Mitt Romney. And in both of those cases, Ron DeSantis and AOC, these are representations of like the populist wings of their party as opposed to the elite wings of the party, right? Mitt Romney is like the establishment GOP. Hillary Clinton is the establishment Democratic Party. And so 
I, you know, like kind of this populist strain in the party. So I don't like our current elites. I think they've done a lot of damage over the last few years more than we realize. But at the same on in the same breath, I also am still a pretty firm believer that like democracy has this mob rule elements that we need to be guarded against. And this seems to be the exact opposite feeling. And so when I say democracy is a mob rule, what I'm saying is uh, we have to be careful trusting the people with authority over the rules on all the other people. You know, we have to be careful of what the majority of people wants to do to the minority of people. That's what you're saying when you're saying democracy is a mob rule. On the other hand, I'm saying I like the wings of the party that the people really like. You could say like the base of the party. You know, I, I'm against Rick Wilson. I think the base of the GOP is much better than uh, the elites of the GOP over the last few decades. And so do you see the tension that I'm explaining, Justin? Does that make sense to you? And do you have like a resolution to it? Yeah, kind of. So it seems like what you're highlighting is that we seem to have like these two myths going on at the same time, which is like the myth of the competent elite and the myth of the, you know, competent or, you know, competent populace or yeah, like majority, mm -hmm. you know, the myth of like a democracy that makes the right decisions for itself. Right. Yeah. And these these two classes of people, the elites and the populace, disagree with each other. And so they can't both be right. Right. Now, some people say that's because the elites are always right. And some people say, well, that's because the, the populace is always right. And what you're saying is sometimes I think the elites are right. And sometimes I think the populace is right. Right. And I'm saying that's because you believe in a third myth, okay. <laughs> a meta myth, which is the myth of political science, <laughs> which is the myth that there is a particular decision-making mechanism, which once instituted will always arrive at the wise decision. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's false. I agree with you. Uh, so I don't believe the myth of the benevolent elite. And I don't believe the myth of, you know, the educated populace or, you know, um, the, uh, the prudent populace either. Right. But I also don't believe the myth of political science. So I think that we just have to look at which policies are better and say, those are the policies that we should support independently of whether or not, you know, sometimes that's going to mean we support the elites making the decision. And sometimes that's going to mean we support the, you know, the populists, but there isn't some kind of mechanism to put in place that will result in always the right decision being made. That's actually kind of what the founders tried to do sure. is set up this mechanism such that the system couldn't be corrupted. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's possible. And that doesn't mean like you have to give up on all the systems or whatever. What that does mean though, is like, you just can't trust the system to operate. You just can't like let the machine run for a while and be sure that it's always spitting out all the right uh, policies. Do you think there are tendencies though? Like that? So that's like our, our, our seconds. Uh, if, if there's not a best, then maybe there's like tendencies. And then so yeah. like maybe the elite is better than the people more often, or maybe the people are better than the elite more often. Maybe it's neither, by the way, and uh, neither of them are perfect. And I, I acknowledge that. And I, you're right. I think at the base layer of the tension that I was highlighting is acceptance of that myth that like there's a best way. And if we throw out the there's a best way myth and we say that's not true either, the tension goes away. So I agree with that. I think you solved the tension. But then the next question is, is there a tendency? Is there a tendency for the 50% 50, 50 plus one, uh, the populist, populism, democracy to be better than elites? Or is the tendency for the elites to be better than the 50% plus one? In other words, should we allow our leaders to constrain democracy heavily or should democracy, you know, be allowed to operate on all margins, on all issues all the time? I think at any given point in time, there are going to be 
discrepancies one way or the other. But it's not constant. But I, I don't think it's so like I think now what you said like about preferring the popular swing of both parties, I think I agree with you there, right? But I if you go back to like the founding, you might think, oh, actually, I think the elites, even when they were arguing about, you know, the federalist and anti-federalist papers, maybe the, those elites were better suited to make rules than the population would have been at that time. So at any given time, I think you're right. Either the, you know, the populace will be will be better or the elites were, but but I at least I I wouldn't be able to put down a bet on like who's I think that's right. fair. So uh, I couldn't help but try to bring a faith component into this, because when you said the word tension the way you did and the process that might be there of even going back and forth over time between camps to some degree, is your belief in God if you ever have any doubts. And if there's that tension between what I believe, if you lose that tension, then you might be just losing your faith. And so that tension is actually good to have to keep you going through the process of life. And so this might be somewhat the process of politics is that there is there could be a healthy tension to keep us not too deep into one camp or not too deep into the other. And that's just part of the system. And so to me, the answer to those myths is a little bit of what I said earlier that I think brings us back to the founders is to have very smaller powers, uh, limited powers that empower. So the, the role of the government is to protect individual property rights and let people be, to be less intrusive in the ways and hows they do and the the taxing and transfer programs. And, and so I think from a pragmatic standpoint, what we have today, we can make moves that direction. And those moves would be moving away from more and more transfer payments or other, for instance, and to, to limit the scope of the federal government and to try to push maybe some of that back down to the states. I think those are all practical moves that could be made that would help reduce that tension and, and some of those fears as if we all just went and lived our lives without worrying who's in office because they don't have that much power to sway my life uh, one direction or the or the next. Yeah, I think you're right, Russ. I think like if if people feel that tension, it's a good thing because it's a rec like feeling that tension is a recognition of the fact that there's actually not one of those answers correct at any given mm -hmm. time. And that like you have to negotiate between both of them. And listeners, if you're struggling like uh with this being too abstract, like a concrete example in history of this is like and where you see again, I I don't I, I'm not in leftist circles as much, so I'm not sure how leftists feel about the Constitution versus the Articles of Confederation and the internal discussions they have. But if you go on the rights, there's like a really interesting thing that happens when you talk about the Constitution, where most people on the right will say the Constitution is good today, and there's very little disagreement. But if you ask, was the Constitution a good thing when it was implemented? I think the right's pretty heavily divided on that. Uh, because some people say, well, yeah, it's it's protecting speech and, and you know, gun rights and things like that. And, you know, the Bill of Rights guarantees things. But then you have a pretty significant camp on the right who will say that, no, actually, like the Constitution was basically a coup against like the Articles of Confederation and the Articles of Confederation had even more power to the states. And, you know, if you're in school, what you hear about the Articles of Confederation is they just weren't strong enough. We couldn't do like you You had to everyone had to agree to increase taxes. All the states had to agree. How crazy is that? And I hear that saying it's like, oh, man, how cool would that be? <laughs> how awesome would it be if we didn't have uh, a gigantic national military industrial complex and, you know, states had to agree to the taxes that we pay? Like that sounds beautiful to me. <laughs> so like this idea that the, the Constitution is like a small government thing, it's true relative to today. 
But relative to the Articles of Confederation, it was it's not. It's, it was a huge government thing. It was a, a federalist proposal. Technically, it was a compromise, but the federalists won the compromise is the point. So I, I think this is at the, at the base, too. You know, we had a very populist form of government, the Articles of Confederation, and we moved to kind of an elite rule of here's our founders, here's the things that they thought states shouldn't be able to do, or, you know, the federal government shouldn't be able to do, uh, but also the things they should be able to do. So mm -hmm. I don't know, J Justin, what do you think? Is, is that a good characterization? I, I mean, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I got another example, too, that's gone right on in the last few years is uh, with kind of the elite versus populist, but uh, putting our hands in with the, the Federal Reserve, who has a pretty long-standing history the last 20, 30 years of keeping inflation low, that power was used, I, I would argue, abusively, if you want to call it that, with the fiscal policy of dishing out money for COVID reasons, which might have great intentions, but then the Fed immediately buying up all those government bonds. And so the inflation that we've had, that's our elites like leading us. And these, these guys, these guys should know better. And and the top of the top before the inflation hit said, well, I think we got this under control or it's manageable. And, and that just slowly eroded away. And, and then uh, countries where we don't have the quote unquote independence of the monetary system, this is kind of hot off the press for me because in class, I just went over hyperinflation in like Venezuela and Zimbabwe. It's even worse when they're running the shop together. And so we have these mechanisms in place that are corruptible kind of through the elites, maybe corruptible is not the right word to use, but they don't have enough information to solve the knowledge problem that Hayek talked about. And so our best bet is to fix it. And so the old abolish the Fed movement maybe needs to be revived. Uh, of course, that's a long shot in terms of pragmatic ways, but you know, you always hear people harken back to, oh, we got to get back to the gold standard. And now maybe Bitcoin has a, a chance of, um, you know, taking that decision away from the elites on monopolizing our, our money. I don't know. Uh, I'm hoping that there will be organic ways to help limit some of the scope that the elites have. Yeah. I mean, and the more I think about this, the more it is like an issue by issue thing. And maybe like the proper heuristic is like asking yourself the question, if there was a vote on this issue, would things get better or worse? <laughs> and so gun rights is an example where it would get worse, at least in a lot of places, maybe not everywhere. Maybe some places would actually get a little better. Like I could imagine Illinois, if it was like a direct vote, maybe the Southern part of Illinois would finally be able to beat Chicago uh, and repeal some of the crazy laws like Illinois. You can't have a gun within 5,000 yards of the state or something, but whatever. All the guns are uh, in Chicago. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> still somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But so that that issue, one where, you know, the the constitution seems to beat out the populace and, you know, I'd rather not democracy not step into that issue. But there are other issues like taxes, I would imagine, where if we took like direct votes on what people's tax rate should be, at least the poor and middle, middle class would probably have lower tax rates. Maybe the rich would end up having a lot higher tax rates, which I still think would be bad. But the point is like issue by issue where this matters. I think like foreign intervention and the amount of money we give, for example, in this conflict with U Ukraine, I've seen on the right and to the left, a lot of people saying, why, like, on the left, I've heard this a lot with the student loans thing. Like, how can we give 50 billion to Ukraine, but we can't use a few billion to solve the student loan thing? And like, this is like a, a, a point that really resonates with people across the political spectrum. So yeah, I, I think there are some issues where like the people in general have a better opinion than our elites who, you know, hold things the way they are. And sometimes it's the other way around, right? So but the we frame that though still drifts a little bit away from what I was bringing up yesterday with democracy in a state versus democracy 
direct vote for the nation, right? So I think we'd all agree that direct vote for the nation would make zero sense to get away from the ability to move from state to state to uh, take a package of, let's say, democratically public publicly provided goods. You at least can move from state to state. On some issues, it might be better. Like I can imagine, like if fifty percent of the country wants to preserve people's rights, and California doesn't, I would kind of prefer the fifty percent of the country be able to overrule California in, in my first best world. Now, I don't actually want this system because I, I don't trust this system. But like, if we could all agree to not let California impose rent controls, that would make people in California's lives better off. Like it just would. Uh, And I don't have to pretend like, oh no, they know better. Rent controls is actually good for them. No, they're still bad for them. If we could save California by having a nationwide vote, I would want that. I agree with you though, that I wouldn't want that system because that system where the entire country votes on every issue would destroy a lot of good things that states have, destroy a lot of tacit knowledge in states, some of the benefits of federalism. So. It seems like you still believe in the myth of political science. You just think like, oh, this is the right way to, you know, if we do this, everything will be okay. And I think that. Uh, no, I wouldn't say I, just finish, I have I in no state Plus, of nature I do I think everything will be okay. Can I please finish. Uh, yes. yes. So what Peter was saying earlier was like, take any issue, like think about it, like whether or not a vote today would be for better or for worse. You can do that at the state level too, right? And the mm-hmm. same outcome occurs because democracy is a decision procedure. Right. And having elites decide to things decide things is also a decision procedure. And insofar as we don't think that either of these decision procedures are are infallible, mm-hmm. and we think that actually it might take wisdom to arrive at the right decision, we just have to say that n- neither of these things is infallible. Therefore, it's we're probably going to have to go back and forth on uh, what we support on each one of these. Okay. So then I'll, all I would say is that of those, the way you just framed it, the answer then is to eliminate those uh, decisions to the individual so that most of the decision-making is made on a solo basis, right? So, so that's Absolute that's, individual. So that's anarchy, right? Like that. That's... It's probably a little, but yeah, yeah. with recognition that it can't, where I, I'm not advocating anarchy, there, there's protection of property rights is the, let's just say the, the ruling thing that you can do whatever you want as long as whatever you do doesn't harm somebody else, which then necessitate, necessitates a, a decent police system and a and a decent court system and you know all the those sorts of things. So that those decision making as much as possible. There are circumstances where public goods, externalities, whatever that we do your voting thing. I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but not to treat every decision like our our anchor, our rock, our foundation is. The constitution that pushes it to the end of the decision making as much as possible in each case if we can leave an individual make those choices let's do it yeah now well i so i i shouldn't again i shouldn't use anarchy because when the left talks about anarchy they're kind of talking about democracy still it seems <laughs> like the base like maybe like something like communal democracy but they're they're cheating they're doing democracy yeah yeah whereas when people on the right, anarcho-capitalists, talk about democracy, what they're really talking about is like market decisions. And so I, what I interpret your statement to say to us is that you think that in general, the world would be better off if we had more decisions made by markets rather than votes. And I think that that's probably basically true. In fact, I think there's probably very few areas that wouldn't be improved by more markets yeah. 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 Push, I think that was well put. Yeah. The, the, the problem is there's and we can't get all the way here in the podcast, but there's also like this other meta level where like then we have to talk about feasibility. And like if you could push a button to turn everything into markets right now, the question is when that changes, which it will, because if markets were stable, equilibrium 
we would probably be there right now. When it changes, will it change to something worse or something better is the question. That's uh, kind of like, you know, to give an example, it would be like overthrowing a dictator in a country and then leaving them and then seeing like, what is the result? Obviously, the dictator being gone is good. Markets are good. But after things move around a little bit, we know it's not just going to like rise up to be like this federalist republic. And so the question is like, what fills the gap? Is that better or worse? And I, I agree with you. Ideal world, if I could hold the markets in place, I'd hold them there too. But the question is like, if we liberalize some sector, does it stay that way? Or does it actually become like way worse than it is right now? And that's the relevant question. And we're not at markets everything right now. I agree with no. you, it would be better. But to yeah. get there, you can imagine there being steps taken by uh, populists that also move us in that in that direction sure. and steps being taken by the elite that move us in that direction. Right. And then once we're there, when Peter's talking about holding the markets in place, you can imagine challenges to that system coming from the elite or from the populace. And you can imagine that system being maintained by a mixture of the two. And so if, if you have a ideal system in place, this is my claim. If you have an ideal system that you want, like you were talking about with markets, then by definition, you have to be agnostic about the decision procedure because sure. uh, that decision procedure we know isn't always going to output the system that you want. The transitional decision procedure, right? Because like you could actually use markets to get to markets too, right? Yeah. And so there's a difference between the final system and the transitional system maybe. But uh, this this kind of touches on, it's, it's a pet peeve of mine. I think one of the worst arguments that anarchists will make is that like they'll run through like, oh, what do you think is going to happen under anarchy? And people say people will steal from each other and, you know, people will kill each other and they'll say, oh, like the state does right now. Right. And the kind of the, the joke that is made or and it's actually an argument that's made is that the worst things that happen under anarchy are the definition of the state. And the problem with that is like that's true, but like we can imagine better and worse states. Right. And so if there was an anarchy button and you pushed it, things could get better. But we could also imagine a case where like, you know, a worse, a worse government, not not like, you know, you could say like a government. So it's the same thing. Your your conclusion is just that the government's the scary thing. No, a worse government could take over. Right. Like that's the actual fear is that when you make that transition, you get to a worse spot than when you started. And it's not just the fact that you have a government. It's like we can imagine a worse government. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the one thing that I'd maybe. Uh say when you said market equilibrium, the markets might be the equilibrium, but we'd already be there if if they were. I kind of disagree with that to the, to the extent of we're not going to get there because of public choice type issues of, of people with power. And, no, exactly. And that, that's and what so I'm saying. That's, and that's the tension, I think. Yeah. Right? And, and I'm saying if you, snap, if you could snap your fingers and make the world into a market world, it would turn back into the what it is. The sclerosis of Be, uh, yeah, because, because public right. choice actually doesn't go away. Right. It doesn't sh go away. You shift everything. And it is really part of the tension. And I think the that can actually help us move the needle, though, by bringing us, if we, we get some bad outcomes from the system moving more towards mob rule, populism, democracy, more and more decision-making that way, we get these bad outcomes of high inflation and other problems. And now people start to say, oh, maybe we should move back towards markets, right? And so then, so that tension's still there and it's a tug and pull. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. And, and for listeners, now, I do want to make something clear. Where there's a little bit of inside baseball going on here where like I'm kind of arguing against like market people who would consider themselves anarchists because of like the possibility that things could get worse. But actually, like for the record, my belief is like these sorts of systems, more market decision making. I probably would snap my fingers on that uh, pretty quickly. It could get worse, by the way. 
But my uh, default kind of a, a assumption here is that it wouldn't. I think like a lot of things would get a lot better. So that that is my actual belief about things is that like we do need more things decided by markets. But I am willing to admit that there's no evidence that if I snap my fingers, the outcome wouldn't end up to be worse because like public choice considerations could put us in like America minus some freedom, right? Just like minus a little bit, a little bit worse, right? I mean, when the USSR broke up, uh, all the countries that were formed, some of them went straight into capitalism. Mm -hmm. Some of them succeeded mm -hmm. very well. Yeah. Some of them did not do so well right. straight into capitalism. They had like some growth pains, basically. Yeah. yeah. Now, they ended up better off than where they were before. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Jim, Jim Gordon, he did a, a research project on that, looking at the level of economic freedom among the former USSR countries and got that conclusion that there was better outcomes in general with more freedom. The other thing I guess I wanted to bring up, and I, I know we're running low on time, but I think it changes over time. Like markets didn't work quite as good, let's say, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so government grew more towards these democratic joint decisions as we've been characterizing them. But now we have the ability to go back towards markets because information transfer is better, sure. uh, technology is better. And so I think we can get away from what we had to do before because of information problems, let's say public goods, and, and we can move a more market direction. I think the school voucher program is an example of that, where maybe that might be a bad example. Maybe we never needed to go the other direction, but I think there's an argument there. Yeah, it yeah. changes over time. And we're at a, hopefully a point in history where we can get some leadership in place that will start to move towards the market's dis decision uh, rather than uh, government decision. Yeah. Okay. All right. That looks like a good spot to wrap. So this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five-star rating helps other people find us. And please feel free to forward this podcast along to other friends and family that might like to hear it. We have a GortneyInstitute.org button with a, a donate possibility. So if you feel compelled to throw a little money our way, we'd sure appreciate and able to continue our programming the way we do it. Other than that, be fruitful multiply. Thanks.